Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. I'm Tobias. I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. I spent last week in Brussels for a work trip, and I was there, I think, four days, yeah? And one of those days, it started snowing, and, and that's something I would expect to experience in, in Central Europe. And about 10 centimeters of snow, so that's that's what, four inch, perhaps. and um, it was amazing to see the locals enjoying and sometimes even sort of frolicking in the snow. And us Finns who were there, we were like, uh, nothing to see here. Moving on, just too much snow makes everything slippery. And I was just thinking about the snow shoveling they had to do. I didn't have to do because I was in a hotel. But then we went to the hotel lobby bar. It was warm, the drinks were cold, and I didn't really mind. Sounds good. Um, the snow we had here, Last couple of weeks, it's gone. So we built a snowman, it melted, the kids cried, and we're moving on. <laughs> so I renovated my home office a little bit over the weekend. So this is perhaps home office 2.0. So on Sunday, I moved everything out of the office, which is quite a bit. Like if you if you know you have a desk and then all the cables and all the things and all the furniture and exercise equipment, whatever you have in your office. Then after pulling that out, together with a friend, we kind of laid out a new full, uh, like a floor carpet. I've got concrete floors, so it's pretty cold. So we put a full floor carpet in uh, and put some of those nice wooden acoustic panels uh, across the short walls, which made a, a world of difference for the, the sound and the reverb and the kind of acoustics in the room. Turned out amazing. And it's it's kind of a step towards the hotel lounge dream that I want for my home office. Because um, I really like that, um, you know, the feeling of a, a luxurious kind of hotel lounge. When I was traveling a lot for work, I spent a lot of time in hotel lounges, and, and there are good ones and bad ones. So I wanted to make this into the kind of good vibes I get in a relaxing, really good atmospheric hotel lounge. So it's a little bit darker colors with some good lightning, and yeah, I, I like it. It's making a world of difference for you know, for me and my general mood when I'm not working as well. So I can now utilize this room for like an extra living room and I can bring in the kids and we can watch movies and things like that. So it's pretty good. Sounds awesome. That's that's one of the joys in life. You can you can renovate or work in your home office, fix stuff to make it nicer. Alrighty, today we have an episode on Azure updates. And I was looking at our notes and the last time we did an update episode was in December 2023. And we usually prepped the notes a little bit ahead of time. And since Ignite was there in between, there's definitely updates. But I would say after six or eight weeks of not really looking at the updates, I was perhaps expecting a lot more or maybe some major hero updates and announcements. But I feel they were all spent during Ignite. And now we get a little bit of different type of updates. I wouldn't say these are smaller updates, but these are a little bit different, but interesting at the same time. Uh, so we both have our interesting updates. Let me let me start with something super small to sort of get warmed up on the topic. And something that's now in private preview is the ability to upgrade existing Azure Generation 1 virtual machines to generation two trusted launch. And I, I haven't really used trusted launch that much. 
the idea in there is that with Gen 2 VMs, you can enable secure boot that recent Windows versions can appreciate. And you can also have the virtual CPM capability. So especially if you're building something around encryption and fiddling with BitLocker and whatnot, you, you will need CPM uh, at all times. But this is a private preview. Uh, in, in order to get to this, you have to fill out an onboarding form. It always sounds awesome. There's a form and there's probably AI and automations on that. My suspicion, though, is that you fill out the form, it lands into somebody's inbox, they'll have a slot on Monday mornings to process through those. Then they manually go and, and sort of whitelist your subscription for these new private preview features. And as always, uh, all of the updates that we are covering, you can find those in the show notes. So if if you're interested in this one to upgrade, perhaps your existing Gen 1 VMs on Trusted Launch to Gen 2, the opportunity is now there with the private preview. So that's the first one on my list. What do you have, Toby? On my side, um, I found that Microsoft announced the public preview of the Azure Arc Visual Studio Code extension. So that helps you kind of streamline the dev experience of Azure Arc with the uh, the extension, you know, both for enterprises if you're a big company doing stuff in-house and for ISV developers. Uh, so some of the capabilities of that extension, I took it for a spin and took a look. You can set up your Arc-enabled dev environment. You can browse sample applications through it, uh, you know, including the classic Hello World. So if you're getting started, you need to get um, into the weeds of how this works. It's a great thing to uh, to use as well. Uh, you can also explore kind of the Jumpstart Agora Contosis supermarket apps that you have, um, and you can do that in your own Azure environment. Um, you can use some of the predefined tools and, and built-in tools to generate like bicep templates for your app dependencies and simplify dev tasks and validate your Helm charts, whatever it is, things like that. So I think that's good. If, if you're working with Azure Arc, uh, there is a public preview of the Azure Arc Visual Studio Code extension. And again, the link to that is also in the show notes. Interesting stuff. It's nice to get these extensions in VS Code nowadays because I, I feel they become available much faster than the traditional extensions in Visual Studio. Um, for me, this is uh, generally available now, Azure Virtual Network Encryption. And, and what this means is that you have the ability now to encrypt traffic between virtual machines and between virtual machine scale sets. But also what this means, this is bound to Azure virtual networks. So global peering is supported. So you can connect multiple VNets, encrypt the traffic between those. But primarily, this is for virtual machines. Couple of limitations here as well. It is only available for now in the UK South, Swiss North, and West Central US. And when I read this, I was like, oh, there's a data center in Swiss North, apparently. I I knew there's something in Switzerland, but at the same time, Swiss North, I've never used that. So it's public preview, even though the initial announcement said generally available. And again, there is a form you've got to fill out in order to get this enabled. And at the same time, this requires accelerated networking. So you cannot really use this with the lower tier virtual machines. You have to go for the D series, the E series, the L or the M series. 
Then when you provision or create the VM, you have to go for accelerated networking, and then you can apply encryption between the VM. This is probably something that is useful, but at the same time, I haven't really missed this because all traffic that I typically have uh, going out from VMs is encrypted already. But just in case you have some old legacy workloads, this is probably a perfect, perfect capability for that. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think uh, it's good that you called out the available regions because it's generally available, but maybe it's it's more selectively available in these regions at this point in time. So that's good to uh, to call out. The next one on my side is uh, an old friend of mine, the Azure Load Testing Tool uh, or service. There's a couple of updates there. I'm not going to highlight all the updates, just the, the ones that I find extremely interesting. Uh, the first one is creating tests by adding HTTP requests in Azure load testing. That now means you have simplified creation of load tests with just HTTP request, which also means then drum roll, badoom dish, that you don't need to use a JMeter script. That's how we used to do everything. We used JMeter to record something, uh, input a couple of requests and parameters and all these things, what we, whatever we wanted it to do. We recorded a script and then we uploaded that script to Azure load testing. And now um, you can instead just go and say, hey, these are the kind of requests I want to run. You can do that from the uh, from the UI. So kind of eliminates the need to understand and, and know about other tools like JMeter. Um, so I think that's good. The other update for Azure load testing is that it supports fetching secrets now from Azure Key Vault with access restrictions. So if your Key Vault has access restrictions, which it should, you know, you should never have an open uh, open door to your key vault. Now you can then use secrets from that key vault uh, to set up your load tests. You um, you can access it even if the vault is restricted or has restricted access. Um, like if you have a firewall or a VNet enabled, then you can now access secrets by granting access to the Azure load testing as a so-called trusted Azure service. So for the key vault, you can enable that and say, hey, allow trusted Azure services to access this. This is now an Azure uh, trusted Azure service. So if you have that enabled, you can still, like if you have a firewall or a VNet and, and you have access restrictions in place, which you should have, Azure load testing can now still fetch secrets because it's a trusted Azure service. So I think that's a great update. Yet again, kind of moving toward eliminating workarounds with credentials due to complexities in the infrastructure and just saying, all right, we figured that out. We're going to enable you to do this if you use these kind of built-in capabilities because I have seen workarounds specifically for this use case. I've seen workarounds in the wild where people say, well, we can actually access the vault, so we're just gonna put the secrets into the script in JMeter, JMeter or something like that, and it's not ideal. So this way, you can do that dynamically instead, which is great. JMeter script, that's something I haven't heard in a while. I'm never going back there. Uh, for me, a couple of product requirements in 2024 in chronological order. Azure Data Lake Storage Generation 1 will retire end of February 2024. And I think since it's a leap year, it's going to be February 29th this year. The next one is Azure Cloud Services Classic, finally retiring for good <laughs> uh, end of August, as well as Machine Learning Studio Classic. And sadly, Visual Studio for Mac will retire at the same. And lastly, Azure Database for MySQL single server will, will retire mid-September, September 16th. 
None of these I've seen in the wild in ages, even though Visual Studio for Mac I sometimes see. But all of the classic stuff, I, I feel there's probably a handful of companies and customers utilizing those. But we've had, what, 10 years plus to move away from classic. And if you're still using those, you really need to do something in the next six months with those. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a good call out. Uh, for most of these things, I, I may have used them occasionally, but not a lot. But cloud services, I relied on a lot. You had the worker roles and the web roles and all these things that you could deploy. Took ages to deploy or scale up and scale down and figure things out back then. Uh, but yeah, to that point, I, I do see that being deployed in the in the wild still. So again, a good reminder to take a look at that roadmap of deprecation. Um, that will be retired as as mentioned. Do get a contingency plan in place because when the time is up, it's up. It's gonna get killed. Um, so I think that's it's a good reminder. But I think you will get emails, and you have been getting emails over the last couple of years actually. Uh, for all the retirement uh, coming up. So if you're using a service that is being retired, you've already received an email about that, pretty sure. The next one on my side is something that is now generally available, and that is Microsoft Defender for APIs. Now, if you want to take uh, a look or listen to our take on that, uh, we talked about Defender for APIs when it hit the shelves. We talked about that in episode 190. Uh, called Let's Take Defender for APIs for a Spin. Now, the Defender for API is GA, and it's an offering as part of Microsoft Defender for Cloud. It probably has a few more things built in now compared to the last time we spoke about it. But there you go. It's ready for prime time. So you still get the benefits of like uh, all the things we talked about, like unified inventory, aggregated views of your Azure API management deployments, uh, classification of APIs that handle sensitive data, risk prioritization support, API configuration hardening, uh, a comprehensive kind of coverage of OWASP API top 10 threats, a lot more stuff. So check that announcement. Uh, the link is in the show notes or just Google for it. Uh, Microsoft Defender for API, which is now in GA. Alrighty. For me, this is something fairly small. It's in public preview. You can configure the redemption order for authentication in collaboration. Awfully specific. And the intention here is that when when you invite external identities to collaborate within your environment using B2B guest capabilities, uh, they will get the invitation with the redemption link. And now you can configure the order of authentication providers there. Should it be Google first or SAML VS Fed first or something else? So this is a simple graphical interface in Entry-ID for external guests, but also there's a Microsoft Graph capability for this that, that you can utilize to construct your own invitation emails at the same time. Super small public preview. If you've, if you've ever needed this, it's there. If you don't know what this means, then probably you're not going to need it. All right. The Next and final one, there's a bundle, a couple of things up here. It's not really an update show if we don't talk about updates in Defender or Sentinel. So here's a couple of Microsoft Defender for Cloud updates. Um, so these were rolled out in January or announced in January, so right now. 
Um, the first one is public preview of agentless malware scanning for servers. And agentless malware detection for VM is now included in the agentless scanning platform. We've talked about that in, in a couple of episodes that you can now enable agentless scanning of different things. So now you have agent agentless malware detection for VMs, which is then included in that. Uh, and this kind of complements the agent-based coverage uh, with a second layer of threat detection. And it's easy to onboard it, like without any effect on your machine's performance and stuff like that. You can just enable it. Uh, so that's good. So I see it as just another layer of protection. So you still have the agent-based coverage. You can deploy the agent onto your VMs, which you should, and then you can have the agent-less kind of malware detection scanning running on top of that. So I, I think that is a, that's an interesting one. And the next one for Defender for Cloud, I really like because I've used these products, um, both of these products, the Defender for Cloud and Microsoft Defender XDR, which you probably know as Microsoft 365 Defender. That's the former name. Um, so it's now GA uh, that these are integrating. So you have an integration between Defender for Cloud and Microsoft Defender XDR, uh, and that brings you kind of cloud protection into the SOC day-to-day -day business. That's pretty much how they put the marketing statement. And I love that because SOC teams can now discover attacks and that kind of combine detections from multiple pillars, including cloud, endpoint, identity, Office 365, and more. And, and this is a great move toward the kind of single pane of glass, uh, specifically for the SOC role. Uh, and, and SOC is security operating center. So if you have a security team uh, working day to day, this is a great thing because now you will get all of this at the fingertips. And just to kind of repeat where, where I think this is powerful, it's that you get uh, detections across cloud, endpoint, identity, and Office 365, and more stuff. Um, instead of having to go through all of the stuff you do with Microsoft Defender for Cloud, and then you have to go through a bunch of stuff in Defender for 365 or, or now Defender XDR, um, you can do that now um, with the in integration point in, in a single place in Defender for Cloud. So I think that's great. Finally, and my final update for today, uh, around Defender for Cloud is that there's nine new Azure security recommendations in January, which again shows that there's a lot of stuff happening in this space. There's always new detections to make. There's always some new stuff that we uh, want to kind of highlight. I'm not going to list all of them here in this episode, but they cover additional recommendations for things like cognitive service accounts. That's what they put on the on the website, but I think that might be called Azure AI now. Um, so get ready for a few more recommendations there if you use that. VMs and VM scale sets are going to get some added recommendations on encryption, Cosmos DB, VPN gateways, Azure SQL database, and Azure SQL managed instance, and storage accounts. They're also getting some new uh, security recommendations pulled into Defender for Cloud in the latest January update. So if you're using Secure Score, if you're using Defender for Cloud, if you keep tabs of your subscription and the health, um, using Defender for Cloud, be aware that there's going to be some new things that it's going to be able to discover and give you a hint on uh, your security posture. So that's that's awesome. I, I love these updates. Great stuff. Definitely the one on Defender XR. Uh, for me, I have two last updates left. This first one, I was perhaps too excited to read about. But the more I read about this, the less excited I became. And uh, the announcement is that Azure 
co-pilot for Azure CLI is available. And in my head, I read this as I can open Azure Cloud Shell or Azure CLI in my own local terminal, and I get co-pilot capabilities in there. But that's actually not how it works. This goes back to Copilot for Azure or Azure Copilot that we talk, talked about in episode 215. And this means that there's better support for Copilot generate Azure CLI scripts and commands for you as part of the Azure Copilot capability. So the naming, I think it's a little bit off. So this should be Azure. CLI support for Azure Copilot perhaps make more sense. Anyways, the support is better, and I'm expecting more of these kind of announcements in the coming years when Microsoft makes the Copilot capabilities, be it Copilot for Microsoft 365 or Copilot for Azure or Copilot for Power Platform. When they advance with the innovations, they will announce something, but you don't really get the raw te technical improvements you sort of get added capabilities in there. So if you are signed up for Copilot for Azure, there's again a registration form you have to fill out. And once you get approved, then you can use Azure Copilot in Azure Portal. And as part of that experience, you can now better create Azure CLI scripts for doing your admin stuff. So that's the first one. The last one from me, is Google Identity Provider support for B2B guests in intra external ID. And the idea here is that intra external ID is the sort of spiritual successor to Azure AD B2C. And there's now Google Identity Provider support. I was looking into this in a project. I was hoping to find OpenID Connect support, but it's not officially listed, it sort of implies it's there, but at least we have Facebook and Google identity, identity providers for now. Alrighty, I think those were all the updates we had today. Uh, make sure to have a look at the show notes. You'll find the link to everything we discussed. The last bit, the unexpected question. And Toby, last time we had a guest, so I think it's your turn to ask me the unexpected. All right, so I know you started eating broccoli lately, so you probably have a lot of experience now with broccoli. So if broccoli were uh, if, if broccoli were to gain superpowers, what would those be? Like, so what's the main ability? And how would that change the world? Great question. What I'm thinking now, having enjoyed, air quotes, enjoyed, broccoli for the past couple of weeks now. I feel the superpower that broccoli should gain itself would be amazing bench press results and sort of with an attitude. Because if you if you go on on X or Twitter or or any any social media and you find something on broccoli, there's always this sort of cartoonish drawing of broccoli with this frowny face on something. And I, I, I think I shared the sentiment with a lot of a lot of people in the audience that yeah, broccoli, that would have an attitude like a fierce sort of 
sort of uh, not negative, but perhaps a pessimistic attitude against everything. But it would still be able to do amazing bench press results. And that's why everybody would like to have Rocco. All right. That's good enough answer. All righty. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. All right. See you then. Thank you.